Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com south. So I brought up my golf clubs. You can probably tell by the dust I don't use them very often. Some people use golf as a way to get rid of stress and anxiety. Others of you are thinking, no, that's what brings stress and anxiety. How many of you like to golf? Any golfers? All right, a few of you. So my parents uh, never took me golfing because golfing's expensive. But as soon as we graduated high school, my brother and I, uh, my parents decided to adjust to the empty nest. They'd start golfing. And uh, they're scratch golfers. You know what that means? They hit the ball, it lands in the woods, and they scratch their head as they try to find it. That's, that's a scratch golfer. All right, I'm going to see how I did. Earlier, I hit somebody in the front row. So uh, it's been a Close your eyes. Oh, I didn't hit anybody at all. All right, very good. All right, let's, let, let me tell you another story. So whenever I was uh, in Seattle, lived up there for four years, never really golfed, and then I was invited to a 100-hole golf marathon where you're basically trying to raise funds, someone donates per hole you finish, to go from no golf to 100 holes, and then I did it again five years later, we were so tired by the end of the 100 holes that we actually were just driving the cart up and hitting the ball. It was like we were playing polo. All right, here we go. Sorry, front row. Much better. Right to a golfer, almost, almost. Well, golf is fun. And when you play it, you know, maybe if you like it, you should get a lot of golf in now because there is no golf in heaven. I'm certain of it because in heaven there's no cursing, lying, or cheating. So, oh, not as good. But at least I didn't hit anyone in the face, right? Like in the first service. Uh, We're going to have to have people sign waivers next time. But the reason that we bring up these golf clubs, I'm bringing these up today, is because you can actually practice the wrong thing. You have to have everything exactly right in order to become a good golfer. See, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And some of us have been practicing the wrong way of thinking, the wrong way of living, and it's become our habit. It's become a part of our character If you don't believe me that practice does not make perfect, but makes permanent, watch Charles Barkley. (laughs) You get the idea. We need to pray for Charles. See, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And what we're talking about in the series is how we can replace anxiety with hope. How we can, instead of experiencing debilitating worry, experience peace. And you may be here and you are someone who would call yourself a follower of Jesus. And you might come to church on Sundays and you might read the scriptures. You might even sing the songs that we sing. And yet, if you're not practicing a new way of living, you can actually miss the peace that God has for us. And I want to tell you that Jesus did not come to start a worldwide religion known as Christianity. He actually came to enable us to have a relationship with God. And so his invitation was to experience life as it was intended 
to help you and me experience and become the people God created us to become. See, God created you on purpose and with a purpose, and you discover that by loving him and loving others. And ultimately, Jesus enables us to connect to God, that his spirit would guide us, that we might experience the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. But see, the interesting thing about a relationship with God is it's just like a relationship with anyone else. The default is to drift. If you're not intentional about your spiritual journey, you will drift away from God. If you're not intentional in your marriage, if you're not intentional with your kids, if you're not intentional with your parents, you will naturally drift. And so my story, as many of you know, years ago, we, we did a series called Unchained, and John Burke challenged us on the teaching team to think of a struggle we wanted to overcome, and then we'd walk through the 12 steps together. Now, I like talking about what I've overcome in the past, not what I'm working on. And so I'm thinking through, what am I going to talk about? And he says, if you're not sure what you should work on, choose pride. And I thought, well, I don't want to choose that. <laughs> and so I chose anger. I have a short temper. I'm, I'm part Scottish. And, and so I, I just thought, you know what? I do have a short temper. I have a tendency towards workaholism. And so I decided to start working through the steps as, a, as we did it as a community. But what I discovered really underneath the anger underneath the workaholism was anxiety. It, it was an inability to control the world around me. That was really what working the steps, which are really spiritual principles, enabled me to do. So I want to go back to a passage we looked at last week and break it down a little bit more. It's Philippians chapter 4. Listen to this promise of what can be true of us. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 30 years ago, as a new follower of Jesus, I memorized this passage and used it to help reframe, to, to get me back in line with who I wanted to be. See, God offers a peace that's deeper than you could ever imagine, a peace that can overwhelm the anxiety. Now, Having anxiety, to some degree, is a good thing. Anxiety can protect us. It can be what reminds us to turn back to God. But anxiety can also become distracting or even debilitating. Listen to this quote from Man's Search for Meaning, a, a, a classic written by Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor, author, and psychiatrist. What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. See, so our goal in this series and in life is not to remove all tension, to remove all anxiety, but to have a healthy level of anxiety and learn to use anxiety as a jumping off point to reconnect with God, to reconnect with what's true. 
See, God desires to help you become who he's created you to be and to learn to love others, to learn to love yourself, learn to love him. And that's where we find our purpose. That's where we connect with his spirit. But the passage says, don't forget to put it into practice. We actually have to practice doing the right thing, to train one's mind, since the mind affects our feelings and body. See, some of us have self-talk that actually triggers anxiety. If in your mind you're constantly entertaining fearful thoughts about the future, this will actually affect your emotions. It will create anxiety, eventually wiring your brain, your body, so that anxiety becomes a habit, becomes a part of your character. And as a result, we feel out of control. And last week we looked at how anxiety must be attacked holistically that we are made up of spirit, soul, and body. And some of us have a genetic predisposition towards anxiety. Some of us experience childhood trauma that makes us more susceptible to anxiety. But if we attack anxiety mentally and physically and spiritually, there's hope. See, the spirit is where you interact with God. It's the intuitive center. It's our deepest beliefs. And what you believe actually informs how you think, how you see the world around us. And your soul is your mind and emotions. It's our thoughts and self-talk that happen in the soul, and it affects our body. You and I can actually make ourselves sick with the thoughts that we have. But if we can realign our thoughts to see things as they truly are, as God created them to be, we can actually have a healthy, holistic life. We've referenced this book before. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a cognitive neuroscientist, and she wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain. She's also a follower of Jesus. She writes these words. What you are thinking every moment of every day becomes a physical reality in your brain and body. These thoughts collectively form your attitude, which is your state of mind. And it's your attitude and not your DNA that determines much of the quality of your life. The state of mind is a real, physical, electromagnetic, quantum, and chemical flow in the brain that switches groups of genes on or off in a positive or negative direction based on your choices and subsequent reactions. Scientifically, this is called epigenetics. The brain responds to your mind by sending these neurological signals throughout the body, which means that your thoughts and emotions are transformed into physiological and spiritual effects. And then physiological experiences transform into mental and emotional states. It's a profound and eye-opening thought to realize something seemingly immaterial, like a belief, can take on a physical existence as a positive or negative change in ourselves. The scriptures actually tell us this thousands of years ago, how important our mind is, renewing our mind. And so it's great to have someone really smarter, at least than me, telling us something similar. See, our spiritual life, our connection to God, when we can make our minds in line, realign our thoughts to what is actually true of him and us, that's called spiritual growth, this increased alignment. So you can be alive physically, but spiritually dead. But when you ask God to open your heart, open your mind, to give you the faith to trust him, to follow him, When you begin to believe that that God did come to rescue you and that his name is Jesus, that he took on the evil of humanity and offers forgiveness when we just ask, will you forgive me? 
When we ask him for the power to follow him in his ways, we begin to experience the power of his life, which defeated death. We have access to his spirit. We have access to God himself. See, God loves you. He offers all of us forgiveness, all of us a new start. And it's something we can experience every day, but it takes practice. You can have the right beliefs and not experience the fullness of that new life unless you remember what is true. God created you and me to be able to stand outside of our thinking, to observe it, and even change it. See, the Spirit is meant to rule our thoughts and our emotions in the soul. These repetitive practice thoughts and emotions actually make physical changes on our brain. It's called neuroplasticity. In other words, practice does not make perfect, but practice makes what? That's right. But if we do the right kind of practice, we practice over and over and over the right things, the right thinking, it leads to healthy habits, which leads to healthy character. So back to golf. I'm not going to even pick up the club. I'm nervous. But I've been told that literally you can have every aspect of your swing perfect, but if your hips are off, it messes everything up. Or you can have every aspect of your body right, but if your shoulders are off, it can mess everything up. That's why even the greatest golfers of all time that have won national championships, international championships, they still have coaches. They still have to practice. And so why would we think that spiritually we don't need a coach, that spiritually we don't need to practice? It doesn't come natural. The ways of the world are what is the default, but learning to see with what is true. Just watching golf videos or reading golf books, that's not going to help you. Watching the Masters, that doesn't help you, but actually getting out and practicing. And that's why we say, you heard Tamara say it earlier, the best way to get connected is to serve others with others. Just connecting here, letting others into your life, getting to know others, serving alongside of others can create the opportunity for that mentor, that coach in your life. So you can't just stop being anxious. Have you ever tried doing that? Don't worry. I found myself doing this in the past. I need to stop worrying. I got to stop worrying. I need to quit worrying. But what am I doing in that moment? I'm worrying. I'm worrying about worrying. And it's the last thing at the front of my mind that I'm thinking about. But instead, we need to change our habits and let these new habits transform our character. Listen to Romans 12. It says this, give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, God has good plans for us. But we have to trust him. We have to live according to his ways. We have to let go of some of the ways that destroy us or destroy others. And there's things that we can do. Memorizing scripture, allowing that scripture to reorient your mind of what's true, learning these songs that we sing and singing throughout the week, or learning to breathe, slowing down your heart rate, and letting God transform your thoughts from anxious to right thinking. It's called meditation, and we'll look at this more next week. But I want to give you a four-step practice that come from the scriptures and affirmed by Dr. J.P. Moreland and Dr. Leaf. But before we do that, I want you to think of something that 
triggers your anxiety. We're not going to stay there long, but just for a moment, think of what makes you most anxious, right? It could be this thought, I'm never going to get married, or, or, or he's never going to change, or she's never going to come back. It, it could be, I'm going to fail, or I'm going to end up needing surgery. Whatever that thought is that triggers that cascade of emotions to where you find yourself going down a bad path. Or maybe it's the stock market dropped. And for you, it's finances. And if it's you, if it's finances, it's almost like this financial worry has been a habit and your brain has muscle memory. And so it automatically goes to the worst case scenario. You can learn new habits. In fact, we're starting a course today called Financial Peace University. At four o'clock, just go to our website, gatewaychurch.com slash south and sign up and be here at four and learn how to get out of debt and create a budget. But learning when you're anxious, how to change that thought into a healthy habit. So here's the four things to do. First, catch the anxious thought. Two, name it and frame it. Three, go to your happy place. And four, learn from it. So let's talk about each of these just briefly. Step one. Catch the anxious thought. Dr. Leaf says, picture yourself actually grabbing the thought, which is similar to a passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking every thought captive. There's another version of this that actually translates this, take every thought and emotion captive. Just because we think it doesn't mean it's true. Just because we feel it doesn't mean it's true. Anxious thoughts are actually speculations about the future. Listen to this study. This is fascinating. In clinical psychology and psychotherapy, they found that 85% of the things we worry about never occur. We're wrong. 85% of the time, the things that we ruminate on and marinate on and that keep us up at night never happen. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. But 15% of them do. That's too many. Well, let me just say this. As someone who's genetically predisposed towards worry, as someone who has worried, I've discovered almost every time I've worried about something, it has never turned out as bad as I feared. See, anxious thoughts are speculations about the future. Todd White said this, worrying is like praying for what you don't want. A lot of us are praying for what we don't want by worrying. But instead, we should listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 6. Do not worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, God's will and ways, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, here's what's true about you. Here's what's true about God. These are thoughts you need to enter into your mind. God is a good father, and God loves you. He doesn't want you to worry. He doesn't want you to fret. He wants you to know that just as he takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, he will take care of you. And in spite of the terrible things that happen, he is still with us in those moments. He grieves with us in those moments. He has a beautiful future that you cannot see, but that you can trust. 
One of the greatest films ever made. It's called Rudy. Included this line where Rudy meets with a priest. And Rudy's this tiny guy who somehow makes the football team at Notre Dame. And the priest tells him, there are two things I know for certain. There is a God and I am not him. See, oftentimes when we worry, when we speculate about the future, we're discarding God and we're trying to create a future on our own without him. It's as if we are playing God. But instead, realize that he is a loving God, that you are invited to be his child. And by saying, yes, I trust you. Yes, I need you. I need you to forgive me. He heals us and sends us on a new path. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, when Jesus was saying not to, to worry, it almost sounds like a lack of action, like we're not taking responsibility for our life. But that's actually not the case, not if done right. Jesus says, today has enough trouble of its own. In other words, you can be intentional about how you live today. You can act to influence this moment and entrust the future and the past and the terrible mistakes of others that have affected you to God. We can ask God for wisdom in those moments. These anxious and speculative thoughts are residing in your body and your mind like bad habits. That's why one little trigger and the barrage of associated thoughts and emotions can cascade down. And when you feel powerless, that's the moment to acknowledge, God, I need you. Reorient my mind. Change my heart. Help me know what's true. Listen to this beautiful passage. This is a great one to pray and meditate on. It's from Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. God knows you and understands you more than you even understand yourself. He is blessing you. He's a better life coach than anyone else could be. And pray this part of the psalm, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, that's against your ways, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So you catch the thought and you realize you're sinking. Let those anxious thoughts prompt you to prayer. God, help me in this moment. And then step two, name it and frame it. See, there are thoughts that we have, maybe imposed on us, taught to us by family or friends that keep popping up in our minds. And these are distorted types of thinking. Let me, let me give you a few examples. All or nothing thinking or overgeneralizing. I always do that or nothing ever goes right or having a negative filter. You pick out a single negative detail and dwell on it or discounting the positive. If you did a good job, you, you still notice the one thing you could have done better or mind reading, interpreting others' actions in a negative way or fortune telling, anything predicting a negative future based on an anxious thought. This word's hard for me to say, catastrophizing. How do you say that? Catastrophizing, whatever they said. And it's the idea here that you exaggerate negative qualities or events to minimize, and you minimize the good. Or self-labeling. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm repulsive. See, Jesus taught us that the truth will set you free. John 8, 31. 
If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, my followers, then you will know the truth and this truth will set you free. Some of you think this originated with the tower at UT. It did not. It came from Jesus because the truth will set you free and the truth is better than the lies that you tend to believe. The lies I tend to believe. See, there are not only negative thoughts that we have, but I believe there are spiritual forces at work to destroy and to divide and to hurt us. And the scriptures uses the phrase like the deceiver, or the accuser, or the devil, or Satan. But he's the source of lies. See, there are times in our minds have just the most evil thoughts that did not originate from us, but originated from darkness. And you can be derailed by that and even feel guilty for that. But it is not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do with that thought that will determine what your next steps will be. Listen to what Jesus said. When he, Satan, lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you have a thought that's negative, it's taking you in the wrong direction, label it as such. It is a lie. It's not true. Things can get better. Things do work. God is for you. There is something you can do positively in this moment, which leads to number three. Step three, go to your happy place. The scriptures tell us to think about whatever. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about these things. Replace the negative. I memorized this passage a long time ago, and and to keep these in, in the right frame of mind, it creates an acrostic, paplanter. It's not exactly what I was going for, but it's close, right? Because what you plant in your mind is what will bloom, paplanter, pure, praiseworthy, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, or right. That's what we should be thinking about. You and I have a choice. And when we are in a negative space, remember what you can be grateful for instead of what you may be missing. Think of a happy memory, a happy experience, somebody who's been there for you. Maybe add it to, as your screensaver on your phone, something that reminds you of the good in life. Philippians 4, 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Develop an attitude of gratitude, being more aware of the good that's in your life. And when we do this, we're rewiring our brain, and step four, learn from it. Reflect on step one and three when you're in a good place. Notice what you did that you could do better. Sooner, I'm going to grab that thought. Take that thought and you tear it up. Remind yourself of what's true. And for me, as I have been learning to recalibrate my brain, part of what's been helpful, as many of you know, this summer I had sabbatical, and I was supposed to take six weeks offline. It's really hard to put your phone down. So I actually only took five weeks offline. I cheated for a week until Sulinda told me if I kept checking my email, she would change my password. So I had to work through the steps, my anger issues. But for five weeks, I'm telling you, I learned to sit still in silence, in solitude, to take a Sabbath. And even now, once a week, I try to be offline. Every day, I try to put that phone away because it distracts and it takes me sometimes down a negative path. Next week, we're going to look at hope's habits. But I want to give you a few intentional things that you can do. If you're here and you're not sure about faith or you're new to faith, I want to encourage you to join in with Alpha. It starts next Sunday at 4 o'clock. There's a meal. You talk about meaningful things. Life's biggest questions. 
or, or jump into serving overseas. We have a trip to Nicaragua. Just look for Amman out by the Connect spot. A great way to get out of yourself and see how blessed we are and make a difference in the lives of others. Or maybe start serving others with others. Sue Linda is overseeing our kids. Uh, now Jamie is overseeing full-time our recovery. But jumping in to serve others with others. Maybe it's serving kids in the first service and coming and participating in the second service. But moving out of yourself could be exactly what you need. So in this moment, we're going to have a, a moment where you can connect with God. It could be singing it could be listening, it could be praying, it could be taking communion. Each of these are elements during the song where you just on your own take communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, examine your heart. Or perhaps today for the first time you want to be a follower of Jesus, taking the bread and the cup, symbols of his body and blood given for you and me. Taking it for the first time as someone who follows him could be your response. But don't miss this moment during this last song Allow your heart to connect with God. Let's stand together as we sing.